You're listening to Second Stories, created and produced by Second Story, with me, Abigail Brocker, as your host. Second Story is a nonprofit based in Northern Virginia, working to provide safe havens and opportunities to grow and thrive to youth in crisis and their families. We help at-risk and homeless youth step away from their first story, one often marked by abuse, hardship, and crisis, and write their own second story, full of hope and promise. Second Stories is the home for more stories like these from people in our community. Who would have thought, you know, after having my own child, my daughter coming here, after she had an experience that's unspeakable, she called me one evening, very late at night. I was like, where are you? And she said, I'm, I'm spending the night at a friend's house. And she goes, I, I think I need somebody to talk to. And I said, what do you mean? What do you mean you need someone to talk to? You can talk to me. And she goes, I think I need someone other than you. And I really need you to help me find that person. And I said, I think I know where you need to go. Today's episode is part one of a two-part series about a father and a daughter, Johnny and Meryl. The episodes should be heard in order, so if you're listening to this episode first, you're on the right track. Johnny was part of Second Story's teen shelter in its very first year, and though the shelter meant a lot to him then, it took on a whole new significance decades later when he had that conversation with his daughter you just heard him mention, the one where he realized she'd experienced some deeply traumatizing things, things with which she needed help even beyond her parents. But Johnny knew exactly where to turn, back to a place that had meant so much for his own story, back to Second Story's teen shelter. In this episode, you'll meet Johnny and hear his story. You'll meet the patriarch of a family marked by a legacy of beauty sprouting from pain, of asking for help, of choosing joy and hope, even when things feel horribly dark. Be sure to listen to his daughter Meryl's story next, also available today, to hear the rest of this family's truly inspirational journey. Johnny, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. I feel excited to talk to you today because not only do you have a special story to share with us, but you have a unique part of Second Story's history. I was really excited and kind of surprised to find out that you stayed at the shelter the very first year that it existed, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, which is awesome and crazy. And you probably know a lot more about Second Story in some ways than I do. Because you were there. (laughs) Important part of its history. So what was it like for you as a kid? So I was raised in McLean, and uh, my parents lived... uh, in McLean for a long time. They met at a young age, and my parents were great. They were no problem, but they ended up starting to drift apart, and when they did, um, the kids kind of got in the way because they wanted to have custody over all of us, and that was an issue for me because I kind of wanted to be with my dad, and my mom wanted me with her, so over the years, it kind of grew harsh. When you think about your emotions at that time with your parents, what are the first things that come to your brain? It was, you know, I was pretty young, so it, it, 
was kind of when you're in that difficult age um, and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do and what you're going to be. And they were fighting over me constantly because they wanted custody. My parents split up when I was six. And um, one, one li lived in Maryland and the other lived here. And my dad was, you know, as a child, as a boy, you always want to be around your dad. And my mom was kind of too uh, overbearing at the time. She was always wanting to do stuff with me and not let me have my space. And, and as I was growing up, I really realized I wanted to be with my dad, but there was no way because of the court systems, mm. which kind of got in the way. So my next step was leaving. And when I became of age, I uh, ended up running away a few times and lived on the street a little bit. Lived in behind bushes and lived wherever I could just place my head. That seems like that would be a difficult decision for a kid to say, running away is better than what I have at home. What was going on in your head to make you make that decision? To me at the time, it felt like I was in the way of them and I didn't want to be in that, in that role. I didn't want to be in the way of them possibly getting back together. So that was my thing is to leave and let them resolve their problems. So you felt like it was on you partially that they were having these issues? Yeah, it was. And what was that like when you actually ran away? You said you were sleeping on the streets, essentially. You were 12, right? Yeah. It was unique to me. I mean, everything in my life has kind of been a journey. So it was a journey uh, on the streets. Uh, I didn't know which way to turn at times, but I always found a way and I would always camp out near a school where I knew I was safe. So that was uh, condoling. It was, it was comfortable for me. It was comfortable. But at the same time, uh, you know, I knew this wasn't going to be my life forever, especially when it started raining and it got cold and things like that. And how do you think your parents felt when you ran away? My mom was a mess, of course. Yeah. She was very... Um, uh, she was very overbearing at times and... My dad knew that I'd be okay. Uh, you know, he knew from everything he taught me as a young child that I'd be all right, but I'm sure I concerned him at times too. And then I found the alternative house. At the time, it was before it was second story, it was the alternative house. And I was able to uh, notify my parents of where I was in 24 hours, I think it was at the time. And then I got guidance and uh, help and counseling to go forward and uh, continue school while I was there. I keep wondering, when you transitioned from living on the street to coming to Second Story, what like what was going through your mind? Because there's part of me that's like, you said you kind of, it was like this adventurous kind of experience. Was it like, oh my gosh, I'm in this place with rules and with a schedule? Or did it feel very safe at first? It was scary because I did have rules and schedules and, you know, clean up and all the things that I had to do and go to school and bring home good grades and, and, and attend the counseling sessions. It was very structured, which I needed. That, that was what was missing in my life was structure. Yeah. So they created that for me and they helped me through that. But the first day in, I was terrified and there was nine girls and me. So that was a little scary. Yeah. And these girls were pretty rough. Over time, I got good with the counseling, and I, my grades came up, 
I was making it to school, coming home and, and doing the counseling there. And then they asked me at one point if I wouldn't mind helping out with uh, other children of my age that are coming in and uh, seeing if we could help uh, them through their issues. And that was really neat to me. So I enjoyed that. It was great. But there was usually uh, a lot of girls were there, not too many guys. It wasn't that. Uh, I stayed there for quite a while. And then I went into a foster home in McLean uh, that was very unique. Uh, it was a friend of mine's uh, from school. His parents took me in and was able to live with them. How did you find out about Second Story? I heard that through some people on the street. You know, at your age, you should be going into a home and, you know, find a foster parent. But, um, you know, it, it was really, for me, it was like, okay, you know, I've, I think I've gotten through this. And after a couple of years from the, from the counseling I was able to have at the alternative house, second story, <clears throat> I was able to get an early emancipation at an early age. And that helped me tremendously because I really wanted to live life on my own. And don't get me wrong, I still talk to my parents all the time at that time and, and let them know I'm okay and doing all the things. And I was in the custody of a guy named Judd uh, for Fairfax County. I don't even know how he was in, in the custody, could give me custody because he was a child himself in my eyes. How old was he? He was in his 20s. Okay. Yeah. Had a nice car and he'd take me to court. He'd come pick me up at uh, the alternative house, take me to court, bring me back, and uh, we got through it all. What was his role in your life? How did you see him? He, he was really concerned for me because he knew that I was going to go back to the street and he didn't want me to. So he allowed me to find ways and he helped me find ways such as the alternative house and the counseling I got to move on with my life. And, you know, I, I had to go to school and I had to create this life around the counseling, around living at the alternative house and respect their rules and, you know, clean up and participate. And uh, he fought with me to gain my independence. And it was uh, very appealing to me at the time. And then even after I got that, I still struggled to live and I didn't know where I was gonna be. So my mother and uh, my grandmother, actually my grandmother took me in and she was uh, a little older and she was very respectful. She was one of the nicest people you'd ever meet in your life. And she never drove a car in her entire life. So she would go to the grocery store and carry the groceries home. Wow. And I was like, you know, this doesn't look right. Maybe I can help out with that and uh, helping her get the groceries home. And she would cook for me and, and clean. And I would focus on school and doing all the things that I did. And that was a comfortable setting. And until she ended up having to go into a nursing home, which was a little different, when she went into the nursing home, I was again without a home. So I just went back to the streets and did what I did and lived with friends and because uh, I was a little older then. <laughs> and then uh, when I didn't have a place to go, she said, why don't you come over here and live in this nursing home with me? I said, Grandma, they're not going to let me in there. And she said, well, I think we have a way to work that out. I've made some friends here. and There's a back door. And uh, they would let you in after hours, and you could just sleep on the couch. So they're like, are you sure? And I said, yeah, they, I've already worked it all out. So then I 
came in and slept on the couch, you know, as much as I could, and uh, brought them things that they might want from the store that were letting the guys, the, the ladies and gentlemen that were letting me in and out of the door. I would always bring them gifts or whatever they want. It might be a pack of cigarettes or a six pack of beer or whatever they I could get them in, in the, into their house. That's so weird to me to think about. You were like crashing with your grandma at the nursing home. Yeah, she was fantastic though. You yeah. gotta understand. I mean, I left. She must have I, loved you so much. She just she really did. wanted you to have a place to stay. True story. I left one day, one afternoon, and I didn't come back for two weeks. Didn't tell her where I was going, didn't say goodbye, nothing. And when I came back, she said, Well, welcome home. Dinner will be ready in a half hour. And that's all she said to me. Wow. So that gained more respect. And then I really realized I have got to be more respectful to her. And that's when I really picked up the ball and started helping her with anything and everything that she needed because she was getting older. And she really gave me free will of anything I wanted to do. So it was great. Were you used to kind of coming and going? Was it, you know, you felt like you were on your own anyway, probably. Yeah, I was pretty much on my own. Yeah. So then was it hard to transition to living with someone like your grandma who actually did care about you and wanted to be kind of a parent figure in your life? Actually, no. She was just the most giving. She's a very passive person, uh, unlike anybody I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And she'd sit there and read her paper and smoke her cigarettes and just really very re- relaxed woman. Nothing ever stirred her. Even when the police would bring me home, mm-hmm. she would just find I'd be riding my mini bike out in the street. And even when I had my friend Kenny Horn out in the street riding his motorcycle, we got picked up by the cops. And... Uh, they brought us back to my grandmother's house, and she said, what's wrong with you putting the, my, my grandson's uh, bike in your car, and why don't you find him a place to play? She told that cop off like I've never seen Oh, my gosh. And it was hilarious because that <laughs> was my grandmother. She looked out for me all the time. Yeah. Sounds like it's kind of what you needed, someone who really supported you but wasn't going to ask a lot of questions. Exactly. She was that person. At the time, I never thought of risk, to be honest with you. It was a journey to me, and mm-hmm. it was uh, just a part of life at mm-hmm. the time. I don't regret anything that's ever happened in my life. I mean, I think it was all a learning experience. Mm-hmm. I was never harmed by my parents. I was never, they were never harsh with me. I mean, we've had words, but nothing that uh, was strict. It was really me that wanted to be independent. It was my independence is what I was after. And... Uh, that's how I got it. That's how I became this man that I am today. Mm-hmm. So, and who would have thought, you know, after having my own child, my daughter coming here after she had an experience that's unspeakable mm-hmm. and couldn't tell me about it, and couldn't tell her mom. And then uh, she called me one evening, very late at night, and I was like, Where are you? And she said, I'm paying. I'm spending the night at a friend's house, but I'm having some issues and I really need you right now, Dad. So I went over and picked her up and we talked and she goes, I, I think I need somebody to talk to. And I said, what do you need? What do you mean you need someone to talk to? You can talk to me. And she goes, Dad, I'd love to talk to you and, and I talk to you a lot, but I think I need someone other than you. And I really need you to help me find that person. And I said, I think I know where you need to go. Mm-hmm. And I took her to the alternative house, now second story. And she opened up 
and it opened up a can of worms that my my wife and I never anticipated or knew about. Mm-hmm. And it freed her up to talk to us, and it allowed her to become this beautiful woman and mother and a wife that she's become. What you're saying about the shelter, about Second Story, when you knew it was the right place for her to go, what were the things about staying at Second Story that were so impactful and helpful for you? So the counselors, after Meryl was here for four or five days, they called us in and said, uh, your daughter would like to talk to you. And that was okay, okay good. So my wife and I came in and uh, they told us what had happened. And we didn't know at the time what had happened, which, and I'm not going to speak of that, but yeah. it was uh, it was eye-opening, to say the, the, the least. And as a father, you know, you, you're very protective and careful of your daughter. But this one was over the top. And she was able to talk freely because there was no criticism. There was nothing. She was just able to open up. And I think the counselors, counseling and the counselors that were in play really helped her to be able to talk to us about this issue that she had. Mm-hmm. And from there, it kind of, it was hard for a few years to get through all that, and of course. But it was also... Um, inspiring that she was able to move on. Mm-hmm. And it was very important for her to move on from what had happened. Yeah. Otherwise, she'd be in this mold for the rest of her life mm-hmm. and uh, not being able to talk about things. It's really important to be able to talk about everything and how you're feeling as you're coming up. So for me, it was inspiring to get through that, even though it was very hard on my wife and I we were able to open up and she was able to open up. She was the most important thing in my life. So anything that would happen to her uh, would be on me, in my opinion. Yeah. It's interesting because it sounds like the shelter, though you knew it was the right place to take her, it kind of served different purposes for the two of you. For you, it was just this safe haven, a place that you could, you know, people were saying you should get off the streets. It was a safe place for you to go. And then for Meryl, it was more of the counseling that was so important for her, allowing her to open up. Like she had a safe place to go. She had your, your home, oh, yeah. but she needed something else. And yeah, it, it served those different roles in you guys' lives. Exactly. And, you know, kids go through so many things in their lives. They, believe it or not, it's not hard to, it's not hard to imagine uh, being a kid and coming up and you've got all these people in these different type of venues you got to hang out in and who's doing what and how you want to be and you never want to let anybody else control your life you want to be yourself and this helped her to be herself people are so judgmental in the world today especially children at times it's so hard to get through that and i really feel strongly that if uh, if everybody could live their life backwards it'd be so much easier because it really is just presence and peace that you need to find. It's not uh, this day-to-day keeping up with the Joneses and acquiring things and being these things that you don't need to be. You just need to be yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think my daughter has accomplished that mm-hmm. very well. How do you think your life would look different if you hadn't had the shelter and Judd step in and help you? Well, I probably would have been in jail being on the street and things like that. Um, I could have gotten beaten up pretty bad or I could have gotten killed. 
I really couldn't believe I made it to 21. And when I did turn 21, I had to come to Jesus and really had a meltdown that I had actually turned 21. Why is that? What was it about turning 21 that seemed so far off to you? Because I, the lifestyle I led up until 21, it was pretty harsh and it was all over the place. Mm -hmm. There was everything involved that you could imagine. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it was just like, all right, if I can make it to 21, I can do anything from there on. It was a, it was a signpost going, okay, you made it to 21, now you can live the rest of your life. And yeah. I was able to do that. So for me, it was mm -hmm. fantastic. It was unbelievable. It was kind of like a miracle that I made it to 21. How was your perspective different once you had those people step in for you? They were very helpful. I mean, you know, I've had my aunts and uncles, my Uncle Joe, and my Uncle Jack. They were tremendous help to me when I was coming up. And, uh, you know, they knew I was living on the streets at times. They were always there for me. And they'd always open their house up if I needed to go get a meal or whatever. But they had, both of them had six kids each, so they didn't have a lot of room for me, too. Yeah. You know, so they were fantastic. And even to this day, they still are. Mm. And you touched on this before, but you ended up being emancipated. Um, what led that decision? Well, the courts and everybody were fighting over me so much at the time. It, it really hadn't, I had no other choice really to go. Hmm. I wasn't going to go live with my mom and I, my dad wasn't, it, it just wasn't possible. So there really was no need to be in control of one of my parents. I just needed to be me. Did that feel sad in a way to be separated from them like that or did it just really feel freeing? It, it felt free and then I was able to talk to them more. So yeah. for me it was a lot better. Uh, I don't recommend that for everybody but I kind of grew up quick. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not for everybody. And you say that you feel like with Meryl, whatever she went through, the decisions she was making, you feel some level of responsibility for that because she's your daughter. Do you think your parents felt that for you too? I do. And, you know, my wife was uh, also had a similar upbringing to, to mine. So one of the things we decided when we got together, and especially when we started having kids, is we wanted them to know they have their freedom. And we gave them a lot of rope to play with and, and discover and become all the things they become. And it, it worked out fantastic. However, you know, there are times when you give them too much rope and things happen and uh, you don't want to get into that. There's a lot of things out there that are just swaying our kids away and they become attracted to things they shouldn't. So at times you, you, know, you have to step in and be the dad and the mom. Mm -hmm. And other times you just give them the rest of the rope and say, hey, you know, go do this, see mm -hmm. what you can do. My daughter is a phenomenal writer. Nobody knows this, but she can write like nobody I've ever seen. Wow. She should be a writer. I asked her to write kids' books, and I think yeah. this would be fantastic. Huh. She's are, articulate. Like, I can tell that she has extreme, a way with words. Extremely. Hmm. She has a way with words like no one I've ever seen. She's hmm. been asked to do things because of those um, things she writes on Facebook or whatever to leading up to people's eulogies or how do I explain to my kid after I'm gone uh, in a card. She's been asked to do that, or to my wife, that I'm, you know, dying of cancer. And I want you to know, after I leave, you know, how I'm feeling. 
So this card is here for you to see. Wow. She does things like that, you know, fantastic. Wow. That's really cool. So you're talking about this now more pointedly. How do you, you're such a positive person. And rarely do I talk to people who've had these kind of experiences who are like, I just feel like I'm stronger. I feel like a lot of times people are like, I feel like it made me stronger, but they're not as positive as you are. And I think that's really cool. How do you feel like these experiences have shaped you? Definitely have made me stronger. If you can get through some of these harsh times, you can get through anything. And you don't hold them inside. You have to let things go. There are times when, you know, I had to remember, hey, you know, let that go. Move on. Uh, and you don't get trapped. Whenever you get trapped in anything, you're never going to be yourself. So just always move on. You can believe in God, which I think is great because I do. And I hope all, all do, but it's other times I know some people don't, and that's up to them. And I feel comfortable in all that. I'm very comfortable in my shoes. If you could talk to a young person who was in the position that you were on the streets, having a lot of issues at home, what would you tell them in light of what you've experienced as a kid, but also what you're saying now, that it made you stronger, that you're doing well, that you live each day to the fullest? I would highly advise them to try and work with their parents and, and realize that they're only looking out for you in the best way, shape, or form they can. Now, if they're becoming you know, harsh with you or hurting you in any way, by all means, go to the alternative house or second story route. I would definitely leave immediately. You have to take yourself out of that situation. But in the end, they're your parents, and you always want to get along with your parents. And I did get along with my parents to the end. I really did. Mm -hmm. But you also got to remember that sometimes your thinking uh, is not is maybe may beyond what you should as a child. So they're trying to guide you the best they know how. And sometimes you rebel. I was a rebellious kid. I know I was. And it, did it pay off for me? No, not really at the time. But at the same time, I also didn't want to be controlled over all this harsh fighting and going to court and having judges tell me where to be and all that stuff. I was done. I, I just wanted to live my life. And I'm not saying run away. Sometimes it's, it's, it's better to find a place that you can enjoy and live in that space. Do you feel like you were rebelling against what was happening to you? Like, in some way it sounds like you were escaping, but do you think you were also rebelling? Well, there, there comes a point in time when you go to court so many times and nothing's happening that you just, why am I doing this again? And that's when I was like, okay, I know this isn't me fighting over me, I'm happy, so. They're unhappy because I'm not living with one or the other, and that was my issue. And because of their divorce and because they weren't happy with each other didn't mean I had to be in the middle of that. And that was something I did not want to be a part of. Yeah. Okay, so now we know you're, you're a dad, you're a husband. Can you just tell me overall where you're at today? I am the most happiest father you could ever be. I have two of the most wonderful kids you could ever ask for. Um, and my wife is wonderful. As a matter of fact, we're leaving uh, Friday to go celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary. Ah, congratulations. We've been together since she was 17. Wow. So, and I was 19. So wow. So it gives you an idea of how yeah. long that's been. Yeah. So we've been together 37 years, been married mm -hmm. 35 years, 
had um, a beautiful son and daughter. Uh, my daughter was born first, and she really made me wake up to, you know, okay, now it's time to really get things going and, and make some money and, and support this family. And then my son was born, and he was as wild and crazy as I was. So, <laughs> um, he didn't just learn to walk, he learned to run. He, really, <laughs> and he hasn't stopped since. So, and then I've got a beautiful grandson, uh, mm. Chase, and granddaughter, Avery, mm. and my daughter-in-law, uh, Amanda is fantastic. We couldn't ask him. My son-in-law is just one of the nicest people I could ever have my daughter with. He mm -hmm. is so concerned and careful to take care of my daughter. And after mm -hmm. all she's gone through, she yeah. needs someone like him. So I was very mm -hmm. blessed, if you will, with this family that was given to me. And I know you're, it's cool because I know you're a good parent because I've talked to Meryl about it. But how do you think your experiences even your experiences with your parents have made you a good parent. It taught me to do things differently. You know, even when, you know, in couples, if you're out there listening and you're going through a hard time together, just remember what it's reflecting on the, ch the children. It's mm -hmm. really hard for them to understand what you guys are fighting about. Acceptance is peace. Resistance is negativity. Mm -hmm. and if you can't accept each other and you can't, and you're resisting each other, you're, you're teaching the kids to re resist other things. And if you're going to argue, don't do it around the kids. Mm -hmm. You know, move on. Uh, these, they really feel your pain, and you don't want that. So, and there's another thing you should do is just go to counseling. But mm -hmm. I will have to say that through all I've been through with my wife, and, you know, we've had ups and downs like any other couple, but in the end, we, we still are together. We're still in love. We still move on and we still cherish our children mm -hmm. and we live our lives with them. We love it. I love too that you can be reflective and say, these are all the highlights of my life, but also with your experiences, if you need help, seek help. Absolutely. You know, and and that's so cool afraid. about your story. Yeah, never be afraid to reach out. Yeah. You know, there's so many people out there that will help. And believe me, I know there's, a, it always looks like a dead end. But the light at the end of the tunnel isn't always a train coming at you. It could be a gift from God. So mm -hmm. remember to reach out and ask for help, and especially for those who are you know, contemplating uh, taking their life or anything like that. There's so much more to it. Yeah. Really reach out and remember that you're just on a journey. I'm just going to make this a great day. Yeah, and I feel like you really do. I, <laughs> I believe that 100%. I really try. Yeah. I, do. I really thank the Alternative House, now Second Story, for all they have done, not just for me, but for young mothers who have had no place to turn. And, you know, my, my daughter became a young mother before we even thought that she would. And uh, luckily, she had us to lean on, and she had her husband. But I will tell you, you always have a place to go and never feel like you're alone and don't be afraid to reach out don't be afraid to leave and find seek help mm -hmm. really don't be trapped you're never trapped in this world johnny thanks so much for doing this Thank i'm you. so inspired by you thanks for being part of it my pleasure thank you so much for listening to this episode of second stories if you enjoyed this episode, we would be so thankful if you rated our podcast and left us a review. 
Be sure to also hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. Second Stories is created and produced by Second Story with production support from Franklin Vaughn. Second Story is a nonprofit based in Northern Virginia that works to provide safe havens and opportunities to grow and thrive to youth in crisis and their families. Learn more about what Second Story does and how you can support us at second-story.org. That's second-story.org. We hope you'll join us next time.